0: Welcome, patrons, and thank you for joining us at this special event. This is 10 Things, a series devoted to presenting 10 more things about all those great Saturday morning shows of the 1980s. If you're joining us, it means you wanted more than the Saturday morning podcast had to offer. Think of this as the after show where we can make a good thing last just a little longer. So grab a can of new Coke and a handful of fruit wrinkles and come back with me to the 80s. Rewind! Again! The Real Ghostbusters ran for 7 seasons and 140 episodes. But you knew that. In fact, there's a lot you already know if you listen to the Saturday Morning Podcast. While we explore the Real Ghostbusters, there is still plenty to look back on. Here are 10 things you might not know about the real Ghostbusters. Number 10. Alternate casting is always an interesting thing to ponder. It's a what if with the thought, what would that person have brought to the role? Ghostbusters and the real Ghostbusters are no different. As most know, Dan Aykroyd was writing the role of Peter Vankman for his pal, John Belushi. Unfortunately, Belushi died of a drug overdose before the script was completed. Aykroyd asked fellow actor Bill Murray if he wanted the role and he accepted. I am under the impression that the role of Ray Stantz was written for Aykroyd himself. Egon Spangler had a line of actors behind him that were considered for the part Christopher Walken, John Lithgow, Christopher Lloyd and Jeff Goldblum were all considered for the role of Egon Spangler. Christopher Lloyd would have been great, as he's an actor who can fall into any part. Being in Ghostbusters may have caused him to miss out on playing Dr. Emmett Brown in Back to the Future, so, personally, I'm glad history didn't go that way. Christopher Walken may have approached it as a maniac, completely into the ghosts and spooks. No matter what, I'm certain he would have been an off-kilter Egon. John Lithgow is pretty fearless when it comes to doing things in movies. Buckaroo Banzai is a good example of what I mean by this. And what about Jeff Goldblum? Well, if the movie had been made 10 years later, when Jeff Goldblum was more mature and a fully formed Jeff Goldblum, I'd be all over it. By 1994, after having played Dr. Ian Malcolm, why not Dr. Egon Spangler? Fortunately, the role went to Harold Ramis because he gave it to himself. Working with Dan Aykroyd to write the script, Ramis said he felt close to Egon and understood the character. And boy, was he right. And then there's Winston Zeddemore. The role was originally written for Eddie Murphy, whom Aykroyd had worked with in Trading Places. Murphy was unavailable when the filming started as he was working on Beverly Hills Cop at the time. James Bond villain Koto was all but given the role of Zeddemore, but he would have to pass on the role due to other commitments. So, Ernie Hudson got the role of Winston Zeddemore in the 1984 Ghostbusters movie. He beat out some stiff competition to earn the role of outsider Winston, and will forever be associated with Ghostbusters. When the real Ghostbusters went into production, the search was on to find a voice cast that could capture the spirit of the characters from the movie. As we know, Lorenzo Music was cast as Venkman, and Frank Weller took on Ray Stantz. Maurice LaMarche got the role of Egon when he went against the producer's wishes and did a Harold Ramis impersonation. And the role of Winston? Well, it turns out that Ernie Hudson himself auditioned for the role he originated and didn't get it. If the producers didn't want someone who sounded too much like Ramis, maybe they didn't want Winston to sound too much like Hudson. Whatever the reason, he didn't get the part he created. That would go to future talk show host Arsenio Hall. Number 9. It's important to note that the cast gelled and worked well together on this series. In animation, it is sometimes necessary to record all the cast members separately. This was not the case for The Real Ghostbusters. The cast recorded the shows together, possibly playing off one another and creating a good energy for the characters. Producers insisted on recording every episode with the actors in the same room. Number 8. Roger Bumpus, the voice actor who played Louis Tully in the later years of The Real Ghostbusters, was once in a movie with a great name. To his credit, he has the movie Disco Beaver from Outer Space on his resume. With a title like that, it should come as no surprise that Disco Beaver was made by National Lampoon in 1979. I can only imagine that National Lampoon's film department felt empowered with having the hit Animal House the year before. Bumpus, along with actress Lynn Redgrave, starred in the 51-minute film that pointed out everything wrong with cable TV. The movie was directed by Joshua White, who then directed Delta House, the TV version of Animal House that was very short-lived. As you can imagine from National Lampoon, the title of Space Beaver was a sex joke that paid off at the very end. On that note, it has the reputation of being the lowest-rated film HBO has ever shown. Great title, though. Number seven. One of the limitations of Saturday Morning TV was that you knew you had to cast actors to be well-known characters in an adaptation such as The Real Ghostbusters. There was no way ABC was getting that movie cast to voice their own characters. However, story editor J. Michael Straczynski advised the writers to write the characters as if they had Aykroyd, Ramis, Murray, and Hudson on the show. It wasn't about getting sound-alikes, it was about character. If you were true to the character, you could bring the character to Saturday morning. The essence of the Ghostbuster characters were captured perfectly. Writing the characters as if they were writing for Bill Murray or Dan Aykroyd paid off over the course of the show. When you watched the real Ghostbusters, it felt like a mini-adventure with our favorite poltergeist punchers. None of the characters strayed too far from what they were. The characters were handled with logic, unlike other adaptation, where the idea was to dumb down the idea for kids and throw in time travel, or the army, or whatever was outrageous enough to grab a kid's attention. Straczynski's approach wasn't to dumb it down; it was to work within the confines of Saturday morning and make the stories as believable and ghostbustery as possible. That was why he hired writers who worked in the science fiction or horror genre. The directive to write the characters like they are the real Ghostbusters made the show the real Ghostbusters. Number 6. Maurice LaMarche has had a long career. He's found a niche by sounding like Orson Welles. He's worked for every animation studio around, Warner Brothers, Fox, and Disney, to name a few. The guy has almost 400 credits to his name from a career that spanned decades. He's been in the Looney Tunes, The Simpsons, and all over Saturday morning. The bottom line is this. His voice has been a part of our lives forever, even if you don't know who he is. So what more can I say about him? Well, Frank Welker is the go-to when you need animal or alien sounds. LaMarche has an ability that has also made him highly sought after. He has the ability to imitate human sounds, and so, on some projects, he's brought in as a, get this, Stunt Burper. My tip of the hat to you, Maurice LaMarche. That's the best thing I've heard since I heard about Disco Beaver from Outer Space. After these messages, we'll be right back. I gotta feel the taste, gotta make it right, gotta taste it. Sensation of Kellogg's Corn Pop Cereal. Golden nuggets of corn popped up, sweet and light. A popping great part of this nutritious breakfast. I gotta get pop, yeah, I gotta get pops. Sensurium! Man! And machine! Jake Rockwell, Ace McLeod, and Doc yeah, Terror yes. each sold separate. Trouble and forever, Jake! And Entertains <laughs> your assault post! Let's do it! I name this Doc Terror Dam! Centurions, take this! Energize to power mode! Bombs away! Fire! Now it's your Falls! Right, Jake? Right, Ace. New Centurions, Jake Rockwell, Ace McCloud, and Doc Terror come as shown, each sold separately. It's the Chips Ahoy! Betcha bite a Chip Instant winner game, and you could be a winner when you take a bite out of this cookie. Not like that, like this. You could win exciting Kenner Mask toys, or fun Fluffy dogs, and more. Rub off cards or specially marked bags of Chips Ahoy cookies, or for a free card, write Chips Ahoy. PMSI Station, PO Box six three zero zero, Newtown, Connecticut Zero. seven zero. Millions will play, thousands will win. Maybe you Whoopee! And on with the countdown. Beep, beep. Number 5. Of the 140 episodes produced, there was only one script that was not put into production. That script was Funny You Should Scream by Gina Bakar. The story was about Dr. Trufell, who had a funhouse that he would lure children into like a demonic Pied Piper. According to the Real Ghostbusters wiki, here's what happened. Quote, The script was donated to The Cause. The animation writers were fighting with the labor board for recognition to be admitted into the Writers Guild of America. J. Michael Straczynski had to prove to the board that story editing and writing coexisted in the world of animation as it does in episodic television writing. Since the 1930s, animation writers were required to belong to the Cartoonist Guild. This Ghostbusters script helped to establish a new precedent, and animation writers were finally recognized by the WGA through the Animation Writers Caucus. In addition to the unused script, there is only one unused episode outline. The outline, Midnight on the Lady M, was by the most prolific writer on staff, J. Michael Straczynski. Midnight was intended to be a season 3 episode and set in New Orleans. As far as any other details go about the episode, they have been lost. Beep, beep. Number 4. Season 2, Episode 28, The Collect Call of Kalolu, was written by Michael Reeves and featured a reference to a science fiction writer of the 1920s. Were created in 1928 by noted science fiction writer H.P. Lovecraft in the story The Call of Kalulu." According to Wikipedia, quote, Lovecraft depicts it as a giant entity worshipped by cultists in shape like an octopus, a dragon, and a caricature of human form. End quote. I couldn't have put it any better myself. The creature was held captive underwater in the South Pacific and was responsible for all of humanity's subconscious anxiety. In various parts of the world, they were worshipped by human cults and by other Lovecraft monsters, such as the Deep Ones. The Kololu have gone on to have a life of its own. It's been put into games, as well as being mentioned on Night Gallery and other TV shows. The creature's even been name-checked in popular music, especially in Metallica's catalog. Also, the Kololu have entered politics. The creature has been advertised as an alternative political party in Poland, Britain, and the United States. With slogans like, Choose the greater evil, Kololu is sure to be a shoo-in during the next election. Number 3 One of the best resources that the Ghostbusters had for fighting ghosts wasn't a nuclear-powered backpack, it wasn't a ghost mascot, and it wasn't a quick-fingered receptionist. No, it was a book. Tobin's Spirit Guide was the ultimate guide to the work that Spengler and Stance achieved in their university days. The guide was written by John Horace Tobin, who was born in 1870. He would attend Oxford University and earn two degrees. While a middle manager for a British trading company in the late 19th century, Tobin had a run-in with an Egyptian spirit named Ahagatsu in 1899. It was at that moment that Tobin and his friend, Shrewsbury Smith, decided to devote their lives to researching and cataloging the paranormal. And catalog they did. In October 1920, the first edition of Tobin's Spirit Guide was published. It likely became a book that collected dust in old occult shops, or had its validity questioned by skeptics. Whatever the case, we know that Drs. Spengler and Stansted possessed a copy and used it as a field guide to spooks that terrorized the city. The book itself was referenced in Ghostbusters, The Real Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters games and comic book series. And while the book never really existed, it does exist on Amazon.com. There is a version that was released to coincide with Ghostbusters Answer the Call in 2016 that was written by Eric Burnham. The guide covers all manner of supernatural phenomena and is expanded from the original version by Egon and Ray. This edition includes spooks from the Ghostbusters movies and animated shows, and may even touch on ghosts featured in the comic books. I don't mean to sound like a commercial, but the artwork looks bold and old-timey. I may even have to pick up a copy for myself. Number two, let's talk about the band Tahiti. No, not the all-girl K-pop band from South Korea that had the single hit Tonight in 2012, and not Tahiti 80, the French indie band that formed in 1992. No, this was Tahiti, the 80s band featuring Tyron Perry and Tanya Townsend. They were the duo responsible for singing the songs of the original soundtrack to The Real Ghostbusters. Tyron Perry is the older sister of Jamie Foxworth, the actress who played Judy Winslow on Family Matters. You don't remember Judy? That's because as the youngest daughter, she was written out of the series when Julia White showed up as Steve Urkel. Perry and Townsend were the singers who sang all the original songs on the animated show. In 1986, the band Tahiti released an album on both vinyl and cassette of the real Ghostbusters soundtrack. It consisted of 10 songs and was released by Polydor Records. One of the giants who contributed to the music and lyrics of the album was Ollie Brown. You may remember Brown as half of the dance pop duo Ollie and Jerry, or you may remember their 1984 hit breakin', there's no stoppin' us, from the breakin' soundtrack. From the 1970s through the 90s, Brown appeared as a studio musician on over a hundred albums. For decades, Brown worked with Stevie Wonder, The Rolling Stones, Joe Cocker, and Michael Jackson, among others. Among his credits is the title of producer on the 1984 hit song, Ghostbusters, by Ray Parker Jr., Going into the animated series, Brown already had a hand in shaping the sound of the Ghost Punchers. Incidentally, the last song of the real Ghostbusters soundtrack, Hometown Hero, featured a guitar solo by Ray Parker Jr. himself, bringing him and Ollie Brown full circle. The band Tahiti, as far as I can tell, didn't have a life outside of the real Ghostbusters soundtrack. Tyron Perry, and sisters Jamie Foxworth and Jania Perry formed the R&B group S.H.E. in 1997. Their album, Three's a Charm, was released by Shaquille O'Neal's record label. Tanya Townsend, the other half of Tahiti, tried her hand at acting, appearing in the movies Beverly Hills Brats and Bad Jim. Townsend gave up a recording contract in her early 20s to pursue domestic life. She currently lives in California with her family. Producer Ollie Brown is currently in his sixth decade of making music and works in the real estate industry. And now, a very special announcement. Someone is smoking over there. Something we cats would never do. Filling their lungs with thick, dark hair. What a disgusting thing to do. Cats have nine lives with eight to spare. Humans have one with none to barter. Why do they smoke? Why don't they care? Humans are smart, but cats are smarter. Listen, Listen to, to cats, you men and, men and women. Take care of your lungs. They're only human. The American Lung Association, the Christmas seal people. And now, beep, beep. number one. Due to the popularity of the Ghostbusters movie, the studio prepared merch for The Real Ghostbusters. Product high ins were not a new idea. In fact, they were big business for well-established brands. The Real Ghostbusters was no exception. The beverage brand, Hi-C, struck a deal with The Real Ghostbusters. Hi-C would create a drink in honor of the series to promote it, and together kids all over the land would crave ecto-cooler. This summer, coming to a supermarket near you, there's going to be a great new High Sea flavor with an outrageous fruit taste. And what are we going to call it? Ecto Cooler. High Sea Ecto Cooler. Slimer's new fruit drink you've been worn. The funny thing is, Ecto Cooler had been around since 1965. Sort of. Hi-C had a flavor called Citrus Cooler that was rebranded to be Ecto Cooler. The green Hi-C flavor hit the supermarket shelves in 1987. Kids everywhere went nuts for it. The deal was that the flavor would be in production as long as the real Ghostbusters was on the air. When the show left the airwaves, the drink stuck around until 2001. It outlasted the series it was based on. Hi-C rebranded the flavor as Shoutin' Orange, Tanger Green, and replaced Slimer with a weird blob creature. It has been noted that when the switchover happened, grocery store receipts still labeled the product as Ecto Cooler. Just five years after the rebranding, it was rebranded again as Crazy Citrus Cooler. The very next year, it was gone. Fast forward to 2016, when Ghostbusters, answer the call, was hitting theaters. Hi-C announced there would be a limited run of ecto-cooler. Those kids who went nuts for it in the 80s flipped out again and bought it as fast as it could be produced. There was a frenzy around getting the classic cooler. It was chaos. There was no telling what lengths people would go to to get the ecto-cooler. Human sacrifice? Dog and cat's living together? Mass hysteria! By the end of 2016, the flavor had run its course again and was gone. Of course, you could buy a 12-pack of it on the internet for $100, but highway robbery should never be condoned. By the way, Columbia Pictures, who released Ghostbusters in 1984, was owned by Coca-Cola. Hi-C is owned by Minute Maid, a division of Coca-Cola. To manage the tie-in, one division of Coca-Cola had to convince another division of Coca-Cola to do it. Now that's corporate synergy. With Ghostbusters Afterlife hitting theaters in 2021, true fans and the children of the 80s are hoping to get an ecto-cooler revival. And there you have it. 10 things about the real Ghostbusters. Join us next time when we take a look at 10 things about Mighty Mouse, the new adventures. Until next time, thanks for tuning in thank you for joining us at the saturday morning podcast 10 things series if you'd like to drop us a line please write to SatmornPod at hotmail.com you can follow us on twitter and instagram at SatmornPod. do you have any vintage saturday morning memories email us your story and we could read it on the next episode